Hello and welcome to Dungeon Regular, a show about modules, adventures, and dungeons. I'm Nova, also known as Idle Cartulary, and I'm reading through Dungeon Magazine one module at a time. I'll summarize that module, talk about its strengths and weaknesses, and then talk about a few interesting things about it that could be used at the table or impact your own homebrew design. Today I'm going to talk about The Trouble at Grogs by Grant and David Beaucher in issue number 4, March 1987. In Trouble at Grog's, racial tensions come to a boiling point in Dagger's Rock after a half-ogre and his friends come into town and set up an inn. What can we take back to our table from Trouble at Grog's, even if we don't use it in our home campaign? Number one, fantasy racism. The characters are encouraged to be racially tolerant because this adventure features half-ogres, which the apparently Dungeon Magazine assumes the players will treat poorly. And because it features racial tensions, against which it expects the player characters will stand. This speaks to a huge change in perceived audiences, I think, over the last 37 years. That was worth noting. I don't really feel there's much fun to be had in modelling racial tensions in a small town. This feels like something that cuts too close to home for most people in most places. This one, in particular, feels a little uncomfortable as there's a bad guy who's performing crimes, especially the pin on the immigrant half-ogres in the town. And it doesn't help at all that the half-ogres are described negatively by the text, and aside from being tall, they're really just described as not white. It's an exercise in bludgeoning that I wouldn't want at my table. Number two, half-ogre innkeepers. I tend to feel in general that I'm seeing more modern adventures not featuring heritage or species in their characters, or avoiding traditional elves, dwarves, men, and ogres. I wonder if this is a side effect of this change in perceived audiences, and the metropolitanization of the Forgotten Realms as a result of the mainstreaming of once unusual choices like Genasi, Tieflings, and Dragonborn. My inclination, to be honest, would be that such things would completely be left out, if only because I can't imagine you could tell to look at someone. And to me, it makes more sense for the characters to wonder, even if you wanted an explicit we-don't-do-fantasy-racism-here policy at your table. Making Grog a seven-foot well-muscled innkeeper with well-cleaned tusks is far more interesting, irregardless, than Grog Half-Ogre Innkeeper, and Happy Half-Ogre is not as interesting a name for an inn as the Tuscan Flagon. Number three, getting to know the cast. I do appreciate, however, that it's anticipated that the characters use this town as a base for other adventures. Get to know Grog, and then, as events kick off, they're invited to participate in proving Grog's innocence. I wish that Grog and the other Half-Ogres had given me had been given a little bit more in the way of characterization, though, to help with that bonding process. Number four, timelines. I really like the use of timelines in this adventure, but the timeline makes a lot of assumptions about the player's actions. We're seeing the first hints of the uh, Ravenloftization of modules here. For example, day three to four assumes the party has been asking too many questions. I think that this has been done better by modern modules like Witchburner by Luca Rayek, where the seven-day deadline is clearly stated and the players are given seven days to solve the mystery. It's not clear what will happen if the players don't even realise that this was their goal, as they're just staying at the inn and not hired as investigators. Number five, wordiness. The key to Grog's inn alone is five or six pages. It's just too much. What there are, though, if you wade through it, is a bunch of characters with personality and relationships which are honestly pretty interesting and interact in interesting ways. The problem is it's hidden in 25 pages of hyperdense triple-column 8-point font. I'm not sure it's redeemable in terms of usability, because it's hard to wrap your head around all of this. 
but it's a damn fine village. It postdates both the village of Homlet in 79 and against the cult of the reptile god in 82, and has clear improvements on a bunch of aspects over these two early strong villages. Their tersity has advantages, but the characters here are more numerous, more interconnected, and more unique. There's adventuring to be done in the town as well. It's a town you really could incorporate into your campaign as a center of operations, and it would just require me to go through it and reduce the key to something usable. You could do much worse than a town this full of unique characters to place at the center of your campaign. That's Trouble at Grog's in a nutshell. I hope that you'll join me for the next episode of Dungeon Regular. If you have any questions, please reach out. I'm on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Macedon at Idle Cartulary, and I write reviews and blog at playfulvoid.game.blog. If you'd like to support Dungeon Regular, please visit my Ko-fi at ko-fi forward slash idlecartulary. You can make a one-off donation or become a member. Members get free copies of Dungeons Regularly, my zine of blank dungeon maps. They are prioritized for their questions to be included in Dungeon Regular mailbag episodes, can make suggestions for future bathtub reviews, and get to see bathtub reviews a week in advance on my Ko-fi before they go public. Our theme music is an extract from Turning the Page by Kirko Samayo on the Free Music Archive used under a Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening to Dungeon Regular.